Hello and welcome in everyone to the Floor Slap Podcast. I'm your host Sean. We are now heading towards week three of the college football season. This is our third episode of the year and we have a really packed one ahead of ourselves today. As always, going to recap a few of the biggest games across the Big Ten in week two. Going to give out game of the week, team of the week, and a few helmet stickers for great individual performances. Um, I'm going to give my thoughts on the Michigan State situation and what's going on over there for Mel Tucker, really just devastating situation for the whole program right now. Uh, then we're going to take a quick look at how all the conferences are stacking up against each other through two weeks. I'm going to explain why this weekend is more important than really any as far as the Big Ten's national perception goes. And then we'll finish up looking towards week three. We have some really, really great, exciting matchups to look forward to and going to wrap up with Sean's five Big Ten betting locks. We're eight and two so far this season. We'll hopefully continue to win some people some money, but uh, we've got a packed episode ahead of ourselves, so let's not delay anymore and get right into it. This is the Floor Slap Podcast. So the first game I want to talk about is the game that really kicked off the weekend, Illinois at Kansas Friday night, a game I was really excited for, I thought would be a barn burner that came down to the wire, but Kansas really just dominated Illinois on both sides of the ball from the get-go, 134-23. So I'll start off by saying that I really love Luke Altmaier as a quarterback. He's playing a lot better than I expected him to um, at this point in the season. I know his stat line wasn't, you know, didn't jump off the board by any means against Kansas. He had a 38 QBR, had a couple picks, um, but he's a playmaker. The dude can ball, and he is still really young, um, and he can stay at Illinois for, uh, you know, another two seasons if he wants to. And I think if he does, he could help lead the Illini to some really special places over the next couple seasons. But it's, I think it's pretty clear right now he is just not quite experienced or polished enough to make this Illinois offense what it needs to be in order to be a top 25 caliber team or Big Ten West contender. And really what I mean by that is that this defense is in bad shape. Um, So I start with the defensive front. Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, you know, they're two All-American caliber um, defensive linemen, both probably first round picks in this upcoming draft. Uh, finally started to make some plays against Kansas. They were pretty MIA against Toledo, so that was good to see. But still, no one else has really stepped up in the defensive front around them. I mean, those two are wrecking crews. They should, you know, get better as the season goes on. You know, they're kind of getting off to slow starts right now. But, you know, I have faith in them. But um, they, they, they've... Illinois has really been pushed around uh, defensively, and that was supposed to be their strength. And I'm looking at the linebackers, guys like Tariq Barnes, Seth Coleman, both are um, really returning starters, upperclassmen with a lot of experience. And they were, I mean, they just weren't making any plays. I don't believe either of them have a tackle for loss so far this season. Um, no, I correction, Seth Coleman does have one. But um, those were supposed to be leaders at the linebacker position and lead a really stout defensive front that allowed um, the secondary, which is replacing a lot of talent, to kind of get their feet under them at the beginning of the season. But the front is getting manhandled, and which is really leaving the secondary out to dry because I don't think anyone expected the, this defense to be nearly as good as last year, especially their secondary. And the schedule certainly did them no favors. Opening up against a really dynamic uh, Toledo team, a Kansas team has a really great offense. Um, and then this weekend they get Penn State, so they re- the secondary hasn't gotten any time to get their feet under them. Um, but you know the plan was that this defensive front should be good enough to kind of level the playing field a little bit, but that just hasn't been the case, and the secondary is just getting annihilated. And you know, 
Brett Bielema is now third year at Illinois. The defense has gotten better over the course of the season in each of his first two seasons, so there's no reason to believe that can't happen this year. And really, everything that Illinois is chasing is still in front of them. You know, the figure they lose to Penn State this week, but they still have their matchups against Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin ahead of them. So they have time to get it figured out. I'm just not quite as optimistic about this Illinois team and uh, their chances of getting to Indianapolis as I was in the preseason. I also want to touch on the Ohio State game. Uh, The Buckeyes beat Youngstown State 35-7 on Saturday. And I want to talk about this game is because I get the sense that Ohio State fans are still not satisfied at all with where Ohio State is at right now, even though we are only two weeks through the season. Um, And I honestly kind of liked what I saw from Ohio State for the most part. Um, you know, Kyle McCord definitely secured the job. That was definitely the headline from Saturday. He was a lot calmer, a lot crisper, um, and definitely more in command of this offense than he was in week one. Part of that was because I think Ryan Day trusted him a little bit more, trusted the offensive line too a little bit more, and opened up the offense a little bit, let him actually throw the ball downfield. Um, he was almost perfect in the first half. I think the only, he only had one throw throughout the entire game that was kind of a, um, you know, where you wanted to look away. He threw into double coverage. Luckily, it wasn't intercepted, but outside of that, he was was um, nearly perfect. The offensive line also played better, had fewer missed assignments. Again, I don't think it's a ter- uh, really a question of talent with this offensive line. They just have to play together more and you know make sure they block the right guys, essentially, and they, and they showed signs of um, moving in the right direction there. Um, so I'm really not too concerned about this offense. I think it's clear that this is not going to be as an elite of an offense as really Ohio State has had every year under Ryan Day so far, but they shouldn't. They don't have to be the best offense in the nation um, because their defense is shaping up to be a top 10, maybe even top 5 defense nationally, in my opinion. I mean, Denzel Burke and Davidson and Gminosum at cornerback both look great. Um, you know, they're both great size for the um, position and have been playing better than really any Ohio State corner since Jeff Okuda. Um, the run defense is stellar. You know, their you know linebacker duo of Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg is nearly impenetrable, and they have just such a deep, talented, massive um, defensive tackle room. Um, but my only concern, and really at this point, biggest concern about this Ohio State team is the edge rushers, and I feel like not a lot of people are talking about that, but they've been kind of MIA, and this is not the first time that it's that this has been the case with Ohio State. They have been not getting very underwhelming production from the edge rushers, whether that be the jack position or uh, just pure defensive end, for a few years now. Um, they've been getting great talent that just has not been developing, and I thought JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer would be two of the best defensive ends in the entire country, and uh, they don't have a sack yet. Either of them do. Um, So and they're just not getting home, and this is against Indiana and against Youngstown State. So they really need to step up their game if they want to beat Penn State and Michigan because they, you know, their defense or their run defense can be as good as they want, but Penn State and Michigan are proving that they're able to really air air it out this year unlike they have in the past. So you're going to have to get home against them. you know, with four with four down linemen sometimes, and Ohio State just doesn't look like they're capable of that right now, and that's really my biggest concern for Ohio State. Um, but you know, they have another warm up semi warm up game against Western Kentucky that should challenge uh, their secondary a little bit more this um, this weekend. So, and then they get Notre Dame, so we'll know really fast, you know, kind of where Ohio State is um, as far as Big Ten and college football playoff contenders. 
And now I'm going to shift focus to a couple games that did not go in the Big Ten's favor in Week 2. The first one, Wisconsin going on the road to avenge their loss against Washington State, went horribly wrong, got down very early, uh, came back, was 22-20. They're a two-point conversion away from tying the game. They didn't make that, and then they got the ball to... um, you know, potentially tie the game or even take the lead. They had a great return that took them inside the 40-yard line. I think they ended up at the 35, but there was a penalty on the return that took them back to midfield, and then Chesma Lucy had his first career fumble, and then Wisconsin just couldn't get off the field defensively, and that pretty much wrapped up the game for them. Um, which, by the way, I do want to go back to that fumble. I'm pretty sure, sh- I don't think that was a fumble. I mean, it was kind of, they called it a fumble on the field. They didn't have a definitive angle, but I thought that was a terrible call to call it a fumble on the field because I, don't, I won't get into it. It is what it is. Not a lot of people seem riled up about it, so I guess I won't. Um, but anyway, on the positive side for Wisconsin, it was a tough loss, but Tanner Mordecai finally looked the part. Um, he started making plays, you know, his touchdown that got him to 20, um, where he just bailed out to the left. He didn't even have time to turn around his torso to make a complete throw. And he just threw a dime in the corner of the end zone. Um, he started finally making plays and he was really their entire offense for the most part. But, um, obviously biggest concern is their offensive line, um, really got dominated from the get go. They averaged 3.1 yards per carry on the day. Um, no one was really able to get loose. And like I said, I mean, they just were outmanned, really. And I thought, even after the week one performance, I thought this was one of the best offensive lines in the entire country. Um, so it was in pass protection and in the run uh, run blocking. Um, they were just overwhelmed. Um, so that is going to be a huge concern moving forward because uh, as much as well as Tanner Mordecai played today, I think this pass game is still a little bit of work in progress and they really need to be able to lean on that run game and run it effectively 20 to 30 times a game if they um, you know, want to get to where Luke Fickle had his expectations set at. And I know Badger fans are really upset about the way their defense has played through two games. Um, I will say they did have a really dominant stretch, I think kind of from the middle of the third quarter up until Washington State's last possession where um, they were smothering, namely uh, Muma Jong Mehta, who, you know, I think was almost entirely all of that. He had a spectacular game for the Badgers. You know, I'm going to give him a helmet sticker later in this episode. Um, so they, there was a period where it looked like, you know, classic Wisconsin defense, but um, you know, for the most part, the secondary has a lot of growing up to do. And when it counted most, they just could not contain Cameron Ward and his mobility. So, you know, like I said, with Illinois, everything that this Wisconsin team wants to accomplish is still in front of them. Um, you know, the optimist in me wants to say that there isn't a quarterback like Cameron Ward in the Big Ten West and Luke Fickle and this is you know great staff that he's put together will get the defense figured out. And, you know, by the time they have these matchups against the Iowa's and Illinois and Minnesota's of the West, um, that their defense will be clicking and, you know, Tanner Mordecai will be playing his best um, football, but um, that doesn't change my concerns about the offensive line. And I think that's what the season's going to come down to. Maybe this was just a bad game. Maybe Washington's front is a lot to, uh, better than I thought. Um, but that's definitely my biggest red flag walking away from that game. And, you know, I can make excuses for um, the defense and, you know, how they'll get better throughout the year, but I can't for that offensive line. So, um, you know, if I'm a Wisconsin fan, that's definitely my biggest concern, um, you know, heading into, you know, the, the thick of the conference race here in a few weeks. And then, of course, in uh, what was the biggest game of the early slate of games, uh, Nebraska got just throttled by Colorado. Uh, first off, hats off to Tony White and the Nebraska defense. They really, for the most part, shut down the Nebraska. Uh, I'm sorry, Colorado offense in that first half. Nebraska was down only 13 nothing. Um, they just simply got worn down as, as the game went on. 
Um, and I'm not concerned about that defense at all. Like I said last week, they are way ahead of where I thought they would be coming into this season. He, ha- he has that defense playing really spectacularly. And I think, you know, they'll keep them. That defense will keep Nebraska in a lot of games this season. Um, but really biggest takeaway was the offense just looked miserable. Um, it was, it was tough to watch. And apart from that, uh, what was it like 55 yard touchdown run from Jeff Sins, that scramble he had the, um, you know, Nebraska offense just got nothing going. And you look at, they have two games now, they have two touchdowns. One was on a trick play where the ball bounced, um, and was almost incomplete if it wasn't just barely backwards. Uh, and then the, the scramble for, um, you know, the long scramble for Jeff Sims. So it's, um, it's been tough to watch. And part of that is Jeff Sims. I'll put that on him. He has, he's made a few nice throws, but he's made, you know, twice as many mistakes and, you know, overthrows and really turnovers has been the name of the game for Nebraska for the first two games. And that's been his problem, his entire career at Georgia Tech, um, as a three-year starter there. So, it's it's definitely been tough to watch for him, but I think a lot of this goes on Marcus Satterfield, their new offensive coordinator that they hired from South Carolina. Um, and reminder that Gamecock fans really did not love Satterfield. He was there for a couple seasons, and up until the very end of last season, he you know they were running him out of town the way he was running their offense. And you know Spencer Rattler and um, that team got hot at the end of the season and had a few fantastic wins, and I think that kind of clouded people's judgment of him. And but you know if you go look at like a South Carolina message board right now, they're you know celebrating. They're like, you see, it wasn't us. It's uh, you know Satterfield's doing it again. So um, that offense needs to get figured out. And you know they're as great this defense could end up being one of the best in the country in a couple years it could be the best in the country that won't change matt rule wants to get nebraska back to winning big 10 or conference championships in this case big 10 championships and competing for playoff spots um and you know their defense can be spectacular as great as they want it but in order to win in modern college football you need um you need a quarterback and you need an offense that can score you know that can reliably go out and score 30 points and i know this is year one in his rebuild and he's you know traditionally been slow at rebuilding his past two schools but it's um it's definitely a red flag kind of just how miserable this offense looks especially considering i i know there is talent uh on that team marcus washington's a great receiver um i think gabe Irwin and anthony grant are two talented running backs and um Matt Rule said it himself. This is the most talented offensive line, talented offensive line that he's been around in his career. Um, they're definitely not inept, and it's it's concerning how you know you figured Nebraska wasn't going to be great this year. I knew they wouldn't. I picked them to go five and seven. It's alarming how bad this offense looks. Um, I could be overreacting through two games. I probably am, but you know I love the defense, and as much as I love the defense, I hate the offense. So um, you know Nebraska fans, God bless you. It must be. Uh, it's not an easy job being a Nebraska fan. Um, that much I can tell you for sure. But moving on, I want to talk about the Purdue at Virginia Tech game. Boilermakers won 24-17 and showed tremendous resolve uh, by you know overcoming that six-hour rain delay that they had because it was clear that they um, showed up out of the gate ready to play. They moved the ball right down the field in their opening possession, jumped out to a 7-0 lead, was playing really well defensively, and then that weather delay happened that clearly, I think, favors the home team whenever that happens you know Purdue sitting around in those uncomfortable away locker rooms not knowing when they were um, going to come back out but hats off to them because you know they came back out of the gate a second time ready to play they jumped out to a 17 nothing lead offense was humming moving the ball really quickly hu- getting the ball out of um, Hudson Card's hands 
really quickly. But then the offense kind of went stale. Um, I think that initially was kind of them being a little bit too conservative too early on. But then it ultimately, because it went on for you know over two quarters, that the offense really just was not moving the ball, was not clicking, and it really came down to the first down. Um, they were just losing first down and getting in situations like third and six, third and eights a lot. And they just weren't able to convert, weren't able to make the play. Um, so, but they, you know, they ended up putting together a, a great touchdown drive um, to take that uh, seven-point lead uh, with about eight minutes left and coasted to coasted to a victory. Um, and their defense played a lot better than they did week one, um, especially their secondary. Um, you know, I thought this was going to be another big challenge for them, but they really showed up. Part of it, I think, did have to do with the weather, but it really was dry for the majority of the game after they waited that long time. Um, and you know. Virginia Tech did have a string of success. I think all of their 17 points came in the second quarter, but a lot of that was just them finding the mismatches. And, you know, if they Purdue blitz, being able to extend the play and dump it off to their running back um, or be able to find like a safety lined up with the wide receiver, that was really um, where their big plays came from. And that's something that Purdue will just have to live with defensively until Ryan Walters really has a roster filled out with his guys. But, or, I mean, that's also something mismatches is also just like a part of football. Um, but they dominated the, the Hokie offense for three quarters. Um, they were everywhere. I think, I mean, all three levels of the defense, um, played really well. Kidron Jenkins, again, was, uh, you know, just a home wrecker with what he was doing. He was in the backfield a lot. Um, and it was just, I thought it was a really great game for Purdue. Um, and, you know, mind you, they, they lost week one, but that was against a good Fresno State game and that could have gone either way. So I, they were 10th right now in my Big Ten power rankings that, um, as always, you can find at thefloorslap.com. But um, they could shoot up really quickly because you know they got they got a lot of a lot of tough games coming up really quickly. And I think they play Wisconsin in a couple weeks, um, so I'm excited to see where this Purdue te- Purdue team could go. Because unlike Nebraska, you know they I think they are equipped to really contend for the West this year if they want. And um, having these challenging non conference games uh, early on is definitely gonna you know build them to be um, ready to win in November when it counts the most. Moving on to some superlatives for week two. Um, for the game of the week, I'm going to go with the Cyhawk, Iowa 20-13 to over their arch rival, Iowa State, on the road, and really a huge win for the Hawkeyes. Um, you know, thanks in part to uh, Sebastian Castro, pick six in the second quarter. Iowa was up 17-3 to early in the third quarter, and I think at that point, once they kicked that field goal to make it a three-possession game in the second half, um, there just was no way that Iowa, Iowa was going to lose the game. They kind of put cruise control on the offense. Um, even so, Iowa State, you know, did have an opportunity to go tie the game. Iowa wasn't able to convert a third and one on their own 35, so they punted it, punted it away. But on Iowa State's first set of downs, they faced the fourth and one and couldn't convert, uh, tried to run run the ball and was absolutely swarmed, and that was the game for Iowa. Um, so defensively, it was really a spectacular day for them all around and special teams who had a, a blocked field goal. Um, you know, it was just a typical Kirk Ferentz win. I don't think he'd want to win a game any other way, and it was really good promising performance from them um you know iowa once again has a great defense you know who who would have thought um but you know my, my biggest takeaway you know even though it was a good win you know Iowa was more than happy to be 2-0 the offense was just okay um you know jazzy and peterson you know true freshman his emergence was um really great to see kind of give iowa now a two-headed backfield with him and caleb johnson 
Um, but you know, outside of that, I mean, offensive line still um, didn't get a consistent push. Against again, I mentioned that third and one, they tried to convert on a stretch play to the right, and they just was nowhere to go at all. They got completely overwhelmed. Um, and Cade McNamara, you know, he had a few good throws. He hit Luke Lachey down the middle in the second quarter on a really nice throw, and you know, he had a handful of you know um, really nice throws. But again, he went twelve of twenty-two. He did have uh, an interception that was clear defensive pass interference on the on the cornerback in that position. Back no call by the refs and um so and it was a nice ball by Cade McNamara too gave his receiver a chance he just got pulled down so um he had some nice throws but um it was just kind of an an underwhelming day and I think there were a lot of third downs that they um you know should have converted that they didn't um and part of that I think is uh just execution because I didn't think that Brian Ferentz called a, a poor game by any means um, so as many nice throws as Cade, Ma- Cade McNamara had, I think he missed just as many throws. So um, I think he's got to elevate his game just a little bit. If um, you know, I say I talk about you know these teams improving all this all this much to in order to be win the Big Ten West, like it is some sort of um, premier division in college football, like it is the Big Ten East. It's not. So a lot of these flawed teams, you know, if, even if they don't fix their flaws, could end up in the thick of the race. Anyway, great win for Iowa, now 2-0, went on the road and avenged their loss to Iowa State from last season. Uh, defense looked spectacular, looked better than last week, um, should be among the Big Ten's best again. Uh, offense was, you know, um, okay, uninspiring. Offensive line needs to get a little bit better, but, you know, Cade McNamara uh, is a very capable quarterback, so if this offensive line continues to improve and um, ends up, you know, playing their best ball by November and can, can consistently get a push in the run game and can really start to open up this offense a little bit more, you know, who knows where Iowa can go. I do think they're capable of upsetting Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. You know, I don't think it's likely, but I think this roster has that capability. So, um, we'll just see how this offense improves week by week, and hopefully they stay healthy, and uh, they'll definitely be in the thick of the Big Ten West race. And for Team of the Week, I'm going to go with Northwestern. Wildcats picking up their first win of the year, now 1-1, one and one, beating UTEP 38-7 at home. Um, and you could tell after the game just how much this meant to David Braun and, and the players, and really how much they really love David Braun. He's been such a stoic leader through this whole mess for Northwestern. Um, and I, it was just so great to see Northwestern um, you know, pick up a win. You know, it, it's probably still going to be a rough Big Ten season for them, but to get this monkey off their back, I think, was, was huge. And it was just really great to see see the program be able to to celebrate something for once but you know northwestern played a good game to their credit uh you know they were um initially like two point underdogs in this game i think they opened up at i think it closed um at even odds but i was absolutely floored that they were home underdogs against utep um but they forced three turnovers had three interceptions on the day uh run game really kind of drove this offense cam porter had a good game uh with 17 carries for 90 yards um jack lausch you know um backup quarterback was able to pull off a, a big run too. aj henning had a couple carries um it was cool to see him finally kind of be able to touch the ball um so you know it was a good win for for northwestern like i said still probably a rough season ahead i didn't see anything that makes me think this team is going to be able to you know pull off a ton of upsets this year but um it was just it, it was good to see and you know i don't know how many times i'll be able to talk uh in depth about northwestern so um wanted to you know tip the cap to, to david braun getting his first win of the 2023 season and our last uh, piece of recapping week two, going to hand out some helmet stickers uh, for great 
performances. Um, kick things off with a couple quarterbacks out of the East that I really liked what I saw out of. First is uh, J.J. McCarthy, and that's mainly for his play over the past two weeks. Um, two weeks through the season, he's 48 for 55. That's an 87% completion percentage for 558 yards. That's over 10 yards in attempt. Uh, five touchdowns and, and no turnovers. He showed a you know absolute command of this offense. You know he's had all day to throw uh, for him, but you know he's thrown a lot of really good balls. He's shown a really great connection with Roman Wilson um, and Colston Loveland. So um, you know it, it's my biggest question for this Michigan team going into the season was how would this pass game uh, develop? Is there going to be a downfield threat? Can JJ McCarthy, if he needs to, throw the ball for you know 300 yards and a win? So granted, the competition hasn't been incredibly stiff so far. He's going to face much tougher defenses down the stretch of this season. But, you know, he couldn't have done much more than he's done so far this season. He's really, um, you know, proving any doubter that's left wrong so far. So, you know, if this continues, Michigan, you know, this might be the year for them to win the national championship. And it might not very be very close if he's able to maintain this sort of efficiency throughout the entire season. And the other quarterback I want to give a helmet sticker to is Michigan State quarterback Noah Kim, uh, partly in the same reason as J.J. McCarthy, really what he's done over the first two weeks of the season so far, because this Spartan offense has looked great um, night and day from last year. Uh, I shouted out Nathan Carter, the new running back from UConn last week, who has over 200 yards so far this season um, at over six yards a carry. He's looking like he could be a special player, but Noah Kim has really showed up to play for Michigan State. He's you know only, I guess, put in quotations, completing 68% of his passes, but he's leading the Big Ten with 571 yards, and that's at an uh, 11 yards an attempt, which is I know kind of a unsustainable clip there, but um, you know he's clicking on all cylinders, tied with JJ McCarthy with uh, for five touchdown passes so far this season. Um, and I'm starting to you know figure why Peyton Thorne transferred to Auburn. It wasn't so much he didn't want to compete with Noah Kim. I think he kind of realized uh, that he might lose because you know Noah Kim looks like the better quarterback. He throws a beautiful ball and um, he's balled out for Michigan State so far. And he's got uh, he's got Washington coming to town this weekend, so he's going to have to put up a lot of points to uh, to keep up with Michael Penix and what he's doing over there uh, for Washington. So hopefully you know that'll be a really entertaining game. But Noah Kim definitely deserves a helmet sticker for his performance. Then real quick, shifting focus to the defensive side of the ball, want to give a helmet sticker to a Wisconsin linebacker, Muma Jongmeda. I know Wisconsin lost the game, but he really came to play, um, finished the game with 10 tackles, a sack, and three tackles for loss, led the team in that category. Um, and there was a stretch in the third quarter where it really felt like Jongmeda was in on every play. Um, he was really disruptive. He was um, you know, getting after uh, Cameron Ward, which, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately for the Badgers led to a lot of scrambling, but, um, you know, he, he had a fantastic game and I think was one of the, one of the few Badgers that can, you know, probably grade out as a champion for that game. So, um, great game by Muma Jungmeta and probably more to many more to come this season. And I'm also going to give a shared uh, helmet sticker to Nebraska linebackers Luke Reimer and Nick Henrik. Uh, really that entire Nebraska front really disrupted, um, Shooter Saunders Day uh, in Colorado. The the two finished with a combined three and a half TFLs and three and a half sacks. Um, they were physical with Nebraska all day, and really this helmet sticker could go to the entire defense because you know I know they gave up thirty six points, but they played their tails off, and um, I think it was a good showing and a, a sign of good things to come for Tony White in this defense. Uh, but Luke Reimer, Nick Henrik, Nebraska's leaders up front, uh, really showed out and had a great game for the Huskers. And then I want to shift back to the offensive side of the ball for the last few helmet stickers. Um, you know, the Big Ten is the conference of incredible running backs, and we had a few great 
performances from Big Ten running backs on Saturday, and not from the names that you uh, you typically hear about in the mainstream media. We actually saw a couple true freshmen show out for their first times as collegiate players. Uh, one of them I already talked about earlier, Iowa running back Jazzy and Peterson, who had 10 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown um, in his breakout game as a Hawkeye. Um, and Minnesota also had a true freshman show out for them, running back Darius Taylor. He had 33 carries for 193 yards. That's about six yards a carry, um, a touchdown, and a couple receptions for 13 yards. So, you know, if Minnesota can find some sort of balance with, you know, this new freshman uh, and Sean Tyler, their big uh, transfer portal addition from Western Michigan, they could have something cooking on offense. Um, Rutgers also had a tremendous performance from their star running back Kyle Monongai. He had 28 carries for 165 yards and a touchdown. He was really the pulse of Rutgers offense um, as there's still a little reserve to let Gavin Wimsat really air the ball out. So, um, you know, as, as far as uh, the future can tell, that Rutgers offense is going to run through Kyle Monongai. Um, and then the last running back I'd like to give a helmet sticker to in the final helmet sticker for week three, Maryland running back Roman Hemby. He had 20 carries for 162 yards and a touchdown. That's over eight yards a carry. He also had four receptions for 55 yards, one of Maryland's leading receivers on their day on the day. Um, and that win against Charlotte wasn't as easy as um, it was supposed to. They were in a quick 14, nothing hole, but they came back to win 38, 20. Um, and, you know, uh, Talia, Tugaviola didn't have his best game. He, you know, played better in the second half, but Maryland really leaned on Roman Hemby to get that win, and he showed out. He's definitely one of the the best and least talked about running backs in the Big Ten, so he gets his first helmet sticker of the season. Moving on from week two in what's probably the most graceful transition in the history of sports, uh, I feel like I do need to speak on what's going on with Michigan State. If you're not completely aware of what Mel Tucker's been accused of, it was for lack of a better word or term, uh, he was speaking inappropriately to a woman on the phone who was a former rape victim and someone who was allegedly close to Mel Tucker and the university. Um, because of Title IX, he cannot be fired until the investigation is done, but you know, indications do seem like um, the intention is to fire him once the investigation is done. Um, who knows? You know, It is good to see due process being done. Who knows if the investigation will reveal something to the contrary, but like I said, it does appear um, it's only a matter of time until Mel Tucker is fired from Michigan State. Um, in the meantime, you know, they um, did bring in Tom Izzo, not as their full-time interim coach, but just to be a, a presence for this team. I think a, a sign of leadership, you know, he led this program to highs for so long. Um, so I think it's great to have Mel Tucker in the locker room. Maybe he can help save this season for what's certain to be a massive distraction for this football team. But I also think that's definitely a sign of kind of where this program is that they had to pry Tom Izzo out of retirement. Um, cause remember, this is a, an athletic department that not long ago had to deal with that whole Larry Nassar, um, situation, that terrible, what terrible situation that went on for years there at Michigan State. Um, and even last year, the situation with the Michigan, Michigan State game where Michigan State players, um, beat up a bunch of Michigan players in, in the tunnel, like a jumping. Um, they had to deal with that. And now it seems like the university definitely knew about these allegations months ago and are only acting on it now that it's gone public and i think how the university has handled it um so far has not been great like in their um 
their first their first public statement uh since this came out they deflected blame i felt like they kind of acted like it wasn't a huge deal they only took three questions and then it wasn't until after that press conference that the school revealed they didn't have all the details about the allegations so um i just think this is a whole athletic department that's in flux i think there probably is a real culture problem that um that michigan state needs to address and then just focusing on the purely football aspect, um, first, as far as 2023 goes, this couldn't be worse timing with Washington coming to town this weekend. Um, you know, I thought this was um, a Michigan State team that might be able to pull off the the upset. Um, you know, a top 10 team coming to town. This is exactly what they needed to kind of put their name back on the map after a disappointing 2022 season. And there was a lot of optimism coming out of East Lansing this season. There are some that thought they could um, beat Michigan at home this year, that they're a dark horse Big Ten East contender. Um, but now it just seems like this is going to be floating over them all season long. It's going to be a massive distraction. And can they really handle it? I like that they brought Tom Izzo in, but he's not a long-term solution. And that's what they need. Because remember, this is a team that's already in a rebuilding stage. And now they're going to have to go out and find a head coach to lead this program into the new age of college football. You know, divisionless teams. The Big Ten is going to be the t- toughest uh, conference in the country. And Michigan State's in flux. So this season isn't dead, um, but the timing is terrible with Washington coming to town. And it's really just a massive cloud hanging over the Michigan State Athletic Department for the foreseeable future. Um, And overall, really just a, a sad, devastating situation for the university. So moving away from Michigan State, I just wanted to take kind of a quick pulse check on where every conference stands in terms of national perception right now, because I think... One of the biggest storylines of the first two uh, weeks of the college football season has been not only how average the SEC has looked, but how great the Pac-12 has looked and really how much better they've looked than everyone else. Uh, the SEC, you know, ESPN's darling, is 3-6 and six against the Power Five uh, so far. That is the worst record among the Power Five conferences. The Pac-12, meanwhile, is 20-3 and three in the non-conference, and they are 6-3 and three against the Power Five. They are clearly the best conference in the country right now, and they have eight true contenders for the Pac-12 championship, and I think that's going to make that uh, the most interesting conference race out of any this season. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see if there's a team good enough to get through that gauntlet with 0-1 losses. Unfortunately for the Pac-12, I don't think there is a team that's that much better than the rest um, that can make it through there with uh, fewer than two losses. So I do see the Pac-12 probably cannibalizing themselves once again, even though it is the best uh, conference in the country, it's a shame we don't have that 12-team playoff this season, like I've mentioned before. Um, but, you know, they're clearly the best team, so I guess the question is, who's second best? Because, um, you know, is it the SEC by default, even though they have such a terrible record against uh, Power 5 opponents? Is it the um, ACC? They're 4-4 four and four against the Power 5. Um, and I think the Big Ten is making their stake. They are 17-4 and four overall in the non-conference, 3-3 three and three against the Power 5. Um, but the thing with the Big Ten in this weekend is kind of um, being highlighted by how many underwhelming matchups we have. There's not a lot of headliners. There's not a lot of um, you know big drawing games like Alabama-Texas last weekend. Um, coming up this week, this is kind of seen as a weak slate of college football. But for the Big Ten, it's as important as any because we have a lot of matchups against some pretty good Power 5 teams. And this is really just going to kind of lay the table for how the Big Ten is perceived. Um, it starts Friday. 
Uh, Friday night, Maryland hosts Virginia, and that's a game that Maryland should win handedly. They're 14.5-point favorites. Um, Virginia's 0-2. They just came off a loss against James Madison, so Big Ten really needs Maryland to pull out that win. If Maryland loses, they're one of my you know top five teams in the power rankings right now. Uh, I think they have a really good chance of cracking the AP Top 25 soon. Um, you know, If they were to lose to Virginia, that would be a really bad look for the Big Ten. Um, on Saturday at noon, Louisville plays Indiana and, you know, Louisville actually is, you know, one of the top teams in the ACC. They got some votes in the top 25. Indiana, meanwhile, kind of viewed as one of the bottom feeders in the big 10, uh, Louisville's 10 point favorites, but Indiana gets that game at home. If Indiana can pull off that upset, all of a sudden you can you know look at the big 10 and say, you know, our 12th best team, 11th best team, um, is better than a top five team in the ACC. It just kind of really lanes the groundwork for trying to claim that the big 10 is really this gauntlet, especially the Big Ten East, how great they are. Um, I think one of the biggest games, probably the biggest game of the weekend for the Big Ten is at 3.30. Minnesota goes on the road to Chapel Hill uh, to play Drake May um, and the Tar Heels. And that's, I think what's important about that is that's on, on ESPN. I think that get the Big Ten, um, in, that gets the Big Ten in front of an audience that doesn't always watch their games. You know, um, college football is very segmented now based off of essentially you know, if you're watching the SEC or if you're watching the rest of the conferences and, you know, with ESPN really going full on into um, the SEC, there's a lot of people that aren't watching a lot of Big Ten football and this is their opportunity. So if Minnesota can go get a win versus a ranked team on the road after that really ugly win they had to open the season against Nebraska, I think put a a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths for how Big Ten football is played. Um, again, that'd be massive for the Big Ten. They are seven-point underdogs, and not a lot of people are expecting them to pull out the win, but that would be huge for the Big Ten to be able to beat, you know, arguably the ACC's second-best team. Um, we have another Big Ten ACC matchup, Northwestern versus Duke. Um, this one is, I think, hard to expect anything. I certainly would not expect Northwestern to win, but, you know, if the worst team in the Big Ten, pretty much, and I think everyone's consensus choice for probably worst team in the power five can go beat a ranked duke team that just beat uh clemson just imagine what that could do for the big 10 i don't think that's going to happen but man that could that could really boost the big 10's perception um but we have even more i mean Rutgers hosts virginia tech this game is the key for the scarlet knights getting to a bowl game they need to win this if they want to hit six wins virginia tech um just narrowly lost to purdue so i mean if virginia tech could go on a run in the acc pick up a few wins um but that's a team that is definitively would be one of the big Ten's worst based off of losses to purdue and Rutgers. Um, and then five o'clock, the game I was most excited for until, you know, this whole Michigan State scandal with Mel Tucker, uh, Washington traveling to Michigan State. Again, that's a consensus top 10 team. Um, and again, this is a Michigan State team that I, I, isn't getting a ton of love um, nationally, at least not yet. Uh, they're 16 point underdogs. Um, you know, Michigan State beats them they're automatically in the top 20 and um i just again once again cements how great the big 10 east can be and then finally the nightcap syracuse at purdue purdue is a home underdog against the orange they barely lost last year again this is just another big 10 acc matchup that's seven games against power five opponents that the big 10 has this weekend and if they want to you know give proof to the claim that the big 10 is better than the sec or maybe even challenge the pac-12 as the best conference in the country this year um we have to have a good performance against uh, these teams uh, i think four and three would be a good weekend 
Um, I don't think really there's a way we could possibly go undefeated, but um, if we do anything less than four and three, I'm going to be disappointed for the conference. Uh, I think you can kind of maybe assume Northwestern and Michigan State both drop a game. So where does that other loss come from? Um, you know, you could say Minnesota, um, you know, loses against North Carolina. So we don't get any of those really premier victories. But that means, you know, Maryland takes care of business. Indiana gets a good upset against an ACC team. Um, that means Rutgers gets the win against Virginia Tech and has their eyes set on a bowl game. And that means um, Purdue, again, gets a good team, a good win against um, Syracuse, should be in the top half of the ACC this year. And once again, kind of gets their eyes set on a bowl game. So um, that would, wouldn't be a spectacular weekend for the Big Ten, but I think that would be good for establishing our presence as the second best conference um, behind the Pac-12 and ahead of the SEC. But I think anything worse than four and three, and it's going to be really hard to you know maintain that claim that the Big Ten is better than the SEC this year. Which um, you know I've, I think I've been kind of been riding, but it's it's definitely going to be hard to win the public over uh, if we do not get a. Um, at least above 500 record this season, uh, this weekend against the Power Five. Speaking of those uh, seven games the Big Ten has against the Power Five conferences this weekend, let's dive into the Week Three slated games. So I'll touch on most of the Big Ten's biggest games in my five betting locks, which we'll conclude the episode with. Uh, but before we get into those, there are two other games I do want to touch on. The first one. Uh, Minnesota traveling to Chapel Hill to take on Drake May and the North Carolina Tar Heels. As I mentioned before, Minnesota is a seven-point underdog, and there are two main keys that I see to Minnesota being able to pull off this win. The first on the defensive side of the ball is how much pressure can they get on Drake May. Uh, Minnesota has a really talented secondary led by Tyler Newbin. We know that. They're definitely going to be North Carolina's biggest or Drake May's biggest test to date um, in the 2023 season. But, you know, none of that's going to matter if Drake May can sit back all day and pick them apart because he will find the mismatch and he will find the soft spot in the zone um, no matter who he's playing. So it's Im- absolutely imperative that Minnesota can get after him and make his life a little less comfortable. Um, so I'm looking directly at their defensive line, Jalen Logan Redding, Kyler Baugh, Devin Eastern. Uh, how much pressure can you get on Drake May without having to rely on extra defenders to come in as blitz- blitzers? Because um, if they can go get consistent pressure with him on him with four um, with only four guys, Minnesota has a great chance of pulling off the upset. Um, and then flipping to the offensive side of the ball, I really think the game is going to fall on Ethan Kalikmanis' shoulders. Um, you know, he does have the emergence of running back Darius Taylor alongside Sean Tyler, so he should have a steady game to a running game to rely on for the most part. Um, his offensive line played better last week. Um, they're going to have to step up their game this weekend, and he has tons of options at his disposal. I've talked about it before, you know, Brevin Spanford, Chris Ottman-Bell, Daniel, Daniel Jackson, Corey Crooms. Um, Elijah Spencer, all at his disposal. So um, he's going to have to uh, make a big play at some point because Minnesota's defense can play as good as they want. Jake May is going to get points on the board. And at some point um, in the second half, fourth quarter, uh, Ethan Kalikmanis is going to have to make some plays with his, with his legs and his arm. Um, so, you know, the game is really going to come down to getting Jake May uncomfortable in that pocket and Ethan Kalikmanis finally starting to grow a little bit more as Minnesota's starting quarterback, and he's going to have to have uh, the best day of his young career if Minnesota wants to, to get this win. The other game I want to touch on real quick is the lone conference matchup of Week 3. That's Penn State visiting Illinois. Uh, for the Nittany Lions, I'm really excited to see how Drew Aller handles his first road test, because um, honestly, 
Based off the way Illinois has played in the first two games, Penn State shouldn't have too much problems controlling the line of scrimmage and moving the ball pretty consistently. But that can easily change with uh, you know a couple errant throws, an interception, a silly mistake, some miscues, um, erratic nerves in a hostile environment. Um, that can easily change the balance of the game. So I'm curious to see how steady Drew Aller can be over the course of this game. Um, and for Illinois, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm looking right at that secondary because they have been torn apart. The entire back end of the defense really has not looked good in two weeks. As I said before, the schedule hasn't done them any favors and they don't get a chance to really reset before hosting Penn State. But I'm curious to see if there can be any signs of growth and maturation and development or if, um, you know, um, Penn State's going to handle them just like Toledo and Kansas have. Because, you know, Penn State's the biggest tough challenge to, te- uh, to date. They can line up with, you know, three tight ends, two running backs, and punch you in the mouth, or they can line you up wide with four receivers. Keandre Lambert-Smith is, is one of the best deep threats in the country. I'm also curious if maybe Brett, Be- Brett Bielema's familiarity with Penn State um, can kind of boost their performance on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but then switching that for for Penn uh, for Illinois on the offensive side of the ball, if they want to keep this close, um, I'm definitely looking for. I said it last week, more consistency in the run game. Their offensive line played better against Kansas and got more push in the run game, but that early deficit really just didn't allow them to uh, grind out the run game like they had hoped. So looking at Reggie Love and Josh McCray to really control the clock and get some tough yardage for them and pick up long first downs because I know Illinois is going to want to limit possessions in this game. So the line is bouncing around 14 to 15 point favorites for Penn State right now. I'm definitely leaning towards the Nittany Lions, but they're not one of my five locks just because you never know with a Brett Bielema coach team, especially at home. They want to get this bad taste out of their mouth, and I wouldn't be surprised if their defense shows up in a way they haven't in their first two games. And I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Aller is a little uncomfortable and he makes a few uh, mistakes that he hasn't yet this season um, that keeps Illinois in the game. So that's why it's not one of my locks, but you know, based off of everything we've seen so far, this season, in the first two games, uh, Penn State should handle Illinois um, with relative ease. That is, barring um, you know, barring any unforeseen mistakes, really. So now we can move into uh, my five Big Ten betting locks for Week Three of the college football season, and I'll kick things off with my old reliable. You know, I've had tons of success with Iowa unders going back to last season. They're two and zero so far this year, and I'm going to continue riding them. Uh, they're hosting Western Michigan this weekend. The Hawkeyes are, and the over under is set at forty two and a half. And I'm very comfortable uh, going with the under. I would take it comfortably all the way down to forty. Um, so. Iowa has scored 24 and 20 points in their first two games. Um, Cade McNamara has, as I mentioned before, he's been solid but unspectacular. This offensive line still has a lot of room to grow. Even if they kind of explode and have their best offensive game uh, of the early portion of this season, um, I don't see him scoring more than 31 points, and that still allows uh, them to give up 11 points to Western Michigan. Um, and I don't think their defense is giving up more than 10. You know, guys like Cooper DeGene, Sebastian Castro, uh, Jay Higgins, Joe Evans, they are just loaded at every single position. This is once again one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. And they're going up against a Western Michigan team that isn't necessarily an offensive juggernaut. They just lost 48-7 to to Syracuse. I don't see, the, see any way they put up more than a couple scores on Iowa. And like I said, I just think this Iowa offense is capped at points. So I am very comfortable taking the under at 42 and a half in the uh, Iowa game this weekend. So I've been really heavy on under so far this season. Um, and I'm going to continue the trend mainly because they've been really successful in the early part of this Big Ten football season. Um, but I'm looking at the Ohio State Western Kentucky game this Saturday, and I'm going to take the under at 64 and a half. 
Uh, first, because this is just simply not the same Ohio State offense that we've been used to over the past four years with Ryan Day. Um, listen, they have a very high ceiling. They're going to continue to get better, and they could very well finish the season as a top 10 offense in the country. But at this point in the season, um, they're just not ready to you know, rip off 56 points in a game. Um, you know, I've talked before about how this new clock rule is really limiting possessions. Ohio State hasn't even hit 20 possessions yet on the season through their first two games. Um, so for them to score something like 56 points, they're going to have to score on virtually every possession, which, which this offense just is not ready for. Um, and on the flip side, they are going to get their best test of the year because Western Kentucky can air it out and they're going to test these cornerbacks. Um, but I have a lot of faith in this Ohio State defense. I mentioned before, I think it's one of the 10 best in the country. Um, Davison Igbenosum and Denzel Burke at cornerback have looked as good as any cornerback has at Ohio State since Jeff Okuda. Um, and you know, I think they're going to get, going to give up some big plays, but, um, they've given up 10 points so far this season. Um, I don't see Western Kentucky getting more than 20. I think this game kind of lands around, um, you know, 38, 20, 42, 17 range. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State holds them under um, under 10 points. It's going to be a good test, but uh, based off of what I've seen, I've, this, this Ohio State defense is for real, and I just don't think Ohio State's ready to, to drop 50 yet. So um, at 64.5, I'm very comfortable with that, uh, going with the under there. So my third pick is also my third and final under uh, of Week 3, and I'm going to go to the Indiana-Louisville game uh, for that. It is set at 54.5. I'm sorry, 53 and a half. Um, and I'm very confident in the under either way, honestly. Um, so I know Louisville can score. That's for sure. They've scored 39 and 56 points in their first two games. Uh, they've been really well balanced, averaging 297 yards through the air and 286 on the ground. Um, but Indiana is going to be by far their best test of the season. Um, Indiana is averaging 236 yards total <laughs> through two games. And that's with having played Ohio State and also Jack Plummer. Um, Louisville's quarterback has three interceptions through two games. Um, so I think he's, I mean, it's, um, he can be a little bit sloppy at times. And I, I, I think this whole game is going to be, um, pretty sloppy. Uh, I think Indiana can hold them, um, definitely under 28 points. I think that's, um, very reasonable. And also they're off on the flip side, Indiana's offense is still a massive question mark. I know they put up 41 points against Indiana State last week, and they, you know, showed some great signs of growth. Taven Jackson looks like the starting quarterback. Um, Jalen Lucas, you know, he showed just how great he is. Um, but Indiana State is is not not good, um, to put it lightly. Um, you know, they lost 27 to nothing to Eastern Illinois the week before that. Um, I think it was expected for Indiana to come out and, you know, have a little bit of an offensive showing. So, um, you know, I think Indiana's going to limit Louisville's offense um, to their worst performance of the early part of the season and i still think that their their offense is going to struggle to score so um it's just logical to me to take that under at 53 and a half i don't think it's really even going to touch 50 um if i'm being honest but um you know indiana is 10 and a half point fa uh, underdogs and i think they have a really good chance of pulling off uh that victory at home and i think that uh whether or not they can pull off that victory is is going to come down to two things really the first is that defensive front led by aaron casey Listen, they gave Ohio State fits um, in the opener, and they're going up against a team whose offense really revolves around their running back in um, Jahar Jordan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he has 230 yards through two games at over 16 yards a carry, and he has three touchdowns, and that's really how they're setting up this entire offense for Jack Plummer, who, like I said before, can be a little bit sloppy. So if they can contain him and force them to throw the ball more and potentially force some mistakes 
Um, I think they have a great, I mean, they'll definitely hang in this game, at least until the very end, if they can try to contain uh, this rushing attack. And then offensively for Indiana, I think it's really going to come down to how can they get the ball in Jalen Lucas's hands um, as much as humanly possible, because he is clearly the number one option on that offense. You know, I, I, they do have some really talented receivers. I just think um, at least in this early part of the season, Taven Jackson and Brendan Sorsby don't have what it takes to really push the ball downfield to guys like Cam Camper. So I think it's going to be all about getting the ball to Jalen Lucas in space and getting Taven Jackson some easy completions to him um, and just finding ways to get him the ball, whether it be some wildcat um, or whatnot, because he has been um, the heartbeat of Indiana's offense through two games, and they're going to have to score um, some points to stay in this game with Louisville, and I think it all starts with Jalen Lucas. So how can um, Indiana figure out as many ways as possible to get Jalen Lucas the ball? And for my fourth pick, um, might just be my gut talking, but I'm going to go to East Lansing uh, for the Michigan State-Washington game. I'm really confident that Michigan State can keep this one close. They get them at home, and they are 16.5-point underdogs. I think they're going to come out of the gate hot like bats out of hell, given this whole Mel Tucker situation. I mentioned before um, you know, how big of a distraction it might be. I'm not sure how this team is going to handle it, but I love the fact that they brought in Mark D'Antonio to help lead this team. I think I might have said Tom Izzo before. <laughs> That's their basketball coach. Uh, their former football coach, Mark, Tan- Mark D'Antonio, is coming in to help uh, lead the team through what's a very tumultuous time. And um, I think that's going to get this team focused. I think this is a team that was already ready to prove uh, doubters wrong. Not a lot of people were expecting much out of them this year. Um, there was a lot of optimism coming out of East Lansing. And now everyone's already, you know, um, doubting them once again, their season's over because of this Mel Tucker situation. Um, I think they're going to be focused and ready to play. Um, and granted, this is what looks like one of the better teams in the Big Ten through two weeks. Um, I also look back to that game last year um, where Michigan State had to go on the road to face Washington. And how big of a debacle that game was for them. It was really the first domino in a really disappointing season. It was when the offensive line first really started to break down. Um, and I just remember Michigan State getting throttled and manhandled. But I look at the score, it was an 11-point game. Um, And Michigan State now gets them at home. They're a much, much better team than last year. And yeah, Washington also looks better than last year, but this is their first test of the year. Granted, it's also Michigan State's, but Michigan State defensively looks like the complete package. Their defensive front is as good, if not better, as I thought it'd be coming into the season. And their secondary has showed every sign of finally maturing and, you know, um, moving on from from those horrible past two seasons they've had. And, you know, Michael Penix... Um, I think though he'll get slowed down a little bit, but he's still going to eat. He's still going to get his and put up points for Washington. Um, but this Noah Kim, Nathan Carter uh, duo, quarterback, running back duo Michigan State has, I think they can hang with them. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think they have what it takes to, to pull off this upset. Washington looks awfully good through two games, but um, I just I, I feel really optimistic about about Michigan State this week. Um, and I think they can definitely keep it close. I'll take this line all the way down to 14 and a half. I think Michigan State keeps it uh, within two touchdowns against Washington. And my fifth and final lock of uh, week three will be Purdue plus two and a half against Syracuse. Um, I'm shocked that Purdue is home underdogs against Syracuse, mainly because um, that can be a really difficult place to play at night. The game's at 730, but I've really loved what I've seen out of Purdue through the first two weeks. You know, they lost that heartbreaking game at home against Fresno, a good Fresno State team um, in the opener. Their secondary really looked like their biggest weakness. It was really porous, gave up a lot of big 
plays. Um, but I love the improvement I saw between weeks one and week two. Virginia Tech has a couple good receivers that Purdue largely shut down. Um, you know, Cam Allen's having a good season. Nick Carraway and Kendra Jenkins are absolute animals at linebacker. Um, I just think, you know, this Purdue team is already battle tested through two games. And I think they're approaching midseason form. Um, and I think this defense is going to continue to get better. And I know the Syracuse team has, you know, I mean, the Syracuse offense has looked great through a couple games, but they've played what Colgate and Western Michigan. So this is their first real test of the season. And Purdue's already gone through two, two tests offensively. I've loved what I've seen out of Hudson card. I think he's developing chemistry with more receivers. You know, you saw, uh, TJ Sheffield and, um, Abdurrahman Yassin get in um, to join Deion Burks in the receiving game this past weekend. They kind of stepped up. Devin Mockaby really uh, upped his game this past week. And Hudson Card hasn't turned the ball over yet. So um, I just really like what I've seen out of Purdue. And I don't know a ton about uh, Syracuse yet because they haven't really been tested. Um, you know, I'm sure Purdue's going to give out some big plays and their offense is going to be required to score points in order to win this game. But I think they're fully capable of that. I love what Ryan Walters is doing. Um, where he has his program headed, and you know, I just have, I just like what I've seen too much out of Purdue um, to to pick against them. So I'm plus two and a half, all in on that. And that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Floor Slap Podcast. I really appreciate anyone and everyone that's out there listening. Um, you know, the Floor Slap is really new. My friend Jordan and I just started this. We're just trying to cover Big Ten sports, our passion, um, and deliver good content to you guys. So um, really love doing this every week, and I hope you enjoy listening. Um, you know, If you enjoy the Floor Slap and you like listening along, please share this with a friend. Uh, check out our website, thefloorslap.com, where we post content every week. Um, week three, Big Ten Power Rankings and Top 25 is out. We'll have an article out this week. Um, assessing Matt Rule and Ryan Walters through their first two games of the season. Um, and we also you know, cover basketball as well. We have a season coming up and we'll have a preview uh, ready for you guys. Um, and also follow us at Twitter, on Twitter, <laughs> or X, I guess it is now, uh, at the Floor Slap. Um, we tweet out Big Ten basketball and football you know, news, our opinions, and all that good stuff. So um, really appreciate you listening along with us. Hope you have a great week and hope you enjoy another fantastic weekend of Big Ten football. Later.